Reflect Us is a nonpartisan coalition made up of leading women's organizations in the U.S., working to increase the number of women elected and appointed to office. At the heart of their efforts is the belief that government should reflect the people it governs, and that balanced representation is essential to a healthy democracy. What inspired their work? What impact have they had so far? And what's their vision for the future? We speak with their CEO next. Welcome to In the Business of Change, where we speak with change makers impacting their communities and the world. I'm your host, Elisa Berenbaum, publisher and editor-in-chief of Sea Change Magazine. On today's podcast, we speak with Tiffany Gardner, CEO of Reflect Us. In our conversation, we discuss the coalition's efforts to get more women into leadership roles and why the pandemic and the struggle for racial justice in America has made this work especially important today. Tiffany then shares the challenges of working with a coalition of differing voices and the powerful ways they have found to come together towards a unified vision for the future. So I, um, I'm an international human rights lawyer, and I started my work in post-apartheid South Africa. And I was working with the Truth and Reconciliation uh, Commission um, in Cape Town, South Africa. And through that work, it was right after apartheid ended, they had just ratified their constitution. And I got to meet a lot of amazing female parliamentarians. And, um, you know, they just had a lot of them, one, which I wasn't used to seeing in the U.S. where I'm from. Um, And they were just doing such amazing work. And it just made such an impression upon me seeing these amazing women in political leadership. And that sort of sparked my interest in, and, and women and in uh, women's empowerment. Um, from there, I went to Ghana and I was living in a rural area for a while, working with um, rural farm women, helping them to um, produce these micro, well, at that time, they were very new, microcredit lending programs to help bring their, their produce to market and see sort of the economic empowerment and how that empowered them socially in their, in their rural communities and in their villages. Um, I worked for the UN for a while. Then I went off to Southeast Asia, Cambodia in particular, and was working with um, survivors of domestic violence and sex trafficking. And again, in that work, it was really focused on um, legal and sort of um, making sure that they had legal rights and access to legal resources in that way. And so, you know, if I step back, I would say that my my career and my work just very organically developed. It wasn't as if I had planned any of this, but it just organically developed. And then in 2006, when Hurricane Katrina um, hit here in the U.S., um, I was abroad at the time. But at that point, family members have been saying to me, you know, we have problems here at home. We have problems here at home. And then once Katrina hit, it was very obvious. So I came back home. Um, I took a position at a small, you know, not not for profit human rights NGO um, in New York City. And I was doing Hurricane Katrina work, working with um, largely uh, poor communities, communities of color um, on housing issues. And many of them were female run it, female headed households. So again, that that sort of the theme of women. Um, and then uh, Reflect Us called me. Uh, the recruiter said, hey, listen, we, we see your background. We've seen the work that you've done. We think you will be great to, to lead this coalition. Are you interested? And I hadn't at that point particularly thought about um, sort of politics and sort of the political world in the U.S. in that way in terms of my social justice work, but just knowing sort of my background and my track record of working with women in all the different ways. And one can think about women empowerment and bringing power to women. Um, You know, 
you know, seeing more women in, in elected and appointed office just made sense to me at that part or in that point in my in my career. And so I, I said, sure. And so here I am now. Amazing. How long ago was that? This was um, about a year and a half ago. Okay, great. So yeah, uh-huh. that's exciting. And so tell us a bit about Reflect Us. I mean, wh- what is the mission? Uh, what got it started? What kind of stuff do you do? Tell us, tell us more. So um, right around the 2018 uh, midterm elections, right, when we were all so excited and we all thought that there would at least be some gains for women, the exact opposite happened, right? So there were just a lot of seats that were lost. Uh, it was just sort of a very sort of, um, you know, law sort of in, in a very sort of down moment with respect to the women's representation uh, field. And so several of the leading groups, um, Ignite being one, um, Empower Women being another, these are sort of names that sort of folks here in this country know about, came together and said, listen, you know, if we continue at our own pace individually, trying to train women, um, leadership development programs, trying to get more women to run for office, we'll be at this forever. In fact, statistics say that um, last year in 20, uh, 2020, or 2019, we had just celebrated, 2020, excuse me, we celebrated the um, 100th anniversary of our 19th Amendment. And that's mm-hmm. the amendment to the U.S. Constitution that gave women the right to vote, right? So right. that was 100 years ago in 2020. Well, research says now that if we continue the pace that we're at, it's going to take us another 100 years to get to gender parity in our political leadership. So um, so these groups came together and said we can do far more together and unite it um, in a nonpartisan way if we really want to honestly see, you know, a real sea change in our political leadership um, than we can alone. And hence the Reflect This Coalition was born. So we, um, you know, the Reflect Us Coalition represents um, eight of the leading women's representation organizations in the United States. Um, some deal with um, young women, such as at night, college-age women, getting them trained and running for office. Others deal with um, right-leaning women, such as WPLN, looking at more conservative right-leaning women. Others deal with um, African-American women, such as Higher Heights, right, the or getting African-American. They were behind Kamala Harris and Stacey Abrams before they were household names. Um, so really, if you take the whole breadth of the, um, these, these coalition members and these um, eight coalition members, we reach about 150,000 women across the country. I'm going to ask you about the impact you've had so far. You've sort of already alluded to a lot of that, but I'm curious what, what makes you most proud in terms of the work um, and the type of work that you do? And, and why is this work so particularly important today? Good question. Um, I think what makes me proudest of the work is that we've been able to do this work in a nonpartisan nature. Um, it's not the easiest thing to do. Well, let me step back. You know, working in coalitions just generally is not the easiest thing it's to do. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. And then and then particularly um, in this country, in the United States at this time, being a nonpartisan coalition right. is quite difficult. I mean, we have, you know, groups that are a part of our work or part of our coalition that are very passionate on, on different issues, right? But then when we all come together, we see the greater good and sort of the greater need. And I would say the greater crisis in our U.S. democracy, the fact that there's such a lack of representation um, from very different communities and in this respect from women, right? There's a huge lack of representation. So if you think about the U.S. House, it's about only 27% women. The Senate is about 26%. And then like our state, you know, 
executive offices, which means our, you know, our governors and those executive offices is maybe only 30%. So we're nowhere near there knowing that women are 51% of the population. Right. So I think what makes me proud is, is looking at how we have been able to navigate some very choppy waters, particularly these past several years, yeah. and, and remain focused on this greater goal of bringing greater democracy to the U.S., um, why in this moment, um, you know, over the past year and a half, um, especially with respect to the pandemic, and then with the social justice protest and, 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 and movements here in the US, there does feel to be an opening. No, there is an opening, I would say, in the US that's allowing for some rethinking and some conversations Whereas even several years ago, this, there just wasn't space for that. Right. So I do think that if there's any, if there is a time where we can really do some deep self-reflection as a nation, and then some, some deep thinking about where we're going and how we're going forward. And so I think that there is a lot of opportunity in, in movement and in a couple of areas, right, um, that the U.S. has been grappling with for years, for decades. And one is, you know, women's political leadership, right, and women's political participation. So, so I'm hopeful that um, if, if we and others get this right, this could be one of those watershed moments for our country that we see, and, I, and I'm beginning to see it, where we see some real progress. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely can sense that. And just by going onto your website and seeing what you guys are doing and so far, um, I mean, it seems like there's really, there is a movement there and there is like traction and, and, and uh, a passion and, and um, commitment behind it that is, that is you know, very impressive and meaningful. Um, and I'm curious though, having said that and with the impact and with the stuff that makes you proud and with the activities and movement forward challenges, what are the greatest challenges that you feel the, the organization, the movements itself are facing? Right. You know, I think one of the biggest challenges we face, well, I would say two, one of them is I think as much as we that do this work understand the real threat to American democracy that this lack of representation um, represents. Um, by and large, I don't think that the, the, the average American is even aware, right? I don't think A, they're even aware of just how bad the numbers are, right? And then when they are aware, I don't think it rises to the level that there needs to be action around this or at least concern around this. Um, and I think that's that that that's been something we've been thinking about a lot is sort of our how do we how do we get the word out? How do we get the message out? How do we, you know, market what we're trying to do? How do we, you know, what's the narrative? How do we discuss what the what the issue is and how big of an issue it really is for all Americans, right? I think right now people are really um, pressed. Um, in a lot of different ways, right? There is some hope and there is an opening, hopefully that continues right now, but I think there are a lot of pressures for people. Um, and so the issue around women and women's political leadership, though some may think, oh, well, wow, we need to do better. It's not the most pressing thing. It's probably not even one of the top five or 10 pressing things. So that is that is a challenge because because the understanding has to be that though it may feel minute or insignificant, that all the other pressures that you're facing 
at in some way, shape or form, begin with policy and begin with who's creating, who's making that policy. So although this may feel very far reaching for you, in fact, who's in office, right? And who you're electing is, is you know, is part and parcel to whatever challenges you're facing right now, right? right. So sort of making, making those kind Action. of connections. Yeah. Exactly. And then I would say the second thing about the field generally is just making sure that as we advocate for and work toward getting more women um, elected and appointed into office, that we're very mindful that women aren't a monolith and that there are differences in women. And one of the things that I have really been focused on since being here is really looking at class and income differences and making sure that we are hearing from women from directly impacted communities, women who are working class, because by and large back to these issues, they're the ones who are really facing these issues. So that making for making sure that as we're, you know, supporting women running for office, that we really are mindful to support women from working class communities and from directly impacted communities. So that then back to representation so that you really do have that real representation of the lived experience. Absolutely. What about sort of the systems change, like entirely upending the system and, you know, and, and how it works and, and um, going back, you know, to, to right. the fundamentals of it all, um, systems change in a bigger way. Is that something on your radar? That's excellent. That was excellent. I mean, it is, um, when we think about our strategies in the work, um, and, and there's several of them, um, two of the main focal points have been the leadership development, right? So making sure that we're supporting women who want to run, making sure that the women that we're supporting are diverse in the ways that we just talked about. So they're representing communities and lived experiences. But then also, you know, you can train, you know, a gazillion women to run for office, but if structures are just set up in such a way that it makes it difficult for them to run or makes it difficult for them to stay in office or really, you know, makes it difficult for them to even consider to want to run for office, That's well, right. then we have to address those as well, right? So, you know, some of the things that we're looking at, for instance, is um, at, the, at the federal level, thank goodness they've been able to to, to address this, but at the state level, when you're raising campaign funds, that funding can be used for, you know, an allotted, you know, a, a very specific amount of, of expenses. Um, but one of those expenses that campaign funds at the state level can't be used for is childcare. So if you're a woman who wants to run for office and you're raising is, you know, let's say oodles of money, hopefully, but if you can't use that for your babysitter, for your nanny, for daycare, then that's really going to dissuade you either A, to run from office in the first place, or B, once you're in it, you know, in terms of your longevity, right, and running for office, right, and how long you stay in the race, right? So there are several groups across the country that are working on that issue at the state level. Um, we've been supporting that effort as well. Um, so that's just one example of that sort of systems change. And then we're also just thinking about most individuals, and that includes women and men, they get involved in political leadership at the local level, right? So that's sort of like the gateway, and then you may stay there, which is great, you may go up to the state and then off to the federal. And um, looking at the salaries of, of a lot of these local positions, right? So either they're very low nominal salaries, or they're volunteer, right? right. So again, that also is sort of its own kind of weeding out process and sort of self-selection process, if you will, that kind of, again, may appear innocuous on his face, but sort of how does that ever all practicality work out in the lives of women and you know working class women or really all women to say hey I'll spend x amount of time a away from the house and not get paid for it or get paid very nominally for it so those are just some of the examples we're also looking at appointments um, appointments are also another 
sort of entryway to get involved in politics, especially appointments at the local level. So appointments to like a land use commission um, or other commissions and really beginning to press and we're, we're getting this whole project now is to pass, um, you know, resolutions and trying to get our local city council, uh, city councils to pass resolutions that when they think about appointments, they would think about balanced appointments, right? Mm -hmm. And in particular, gender balanced appointments. So these are ways structurally, right? That we're thinking about, well, what are the other ways that we can, we can move things um, uh, a bit more or even a lot to get to get closer to, to the gender parity that we're trying to um, and really in less time, right? It's tough. I mean, you've got, you've got your work cut out for you, but uh, you guys are definitely making inroads. I, what, what would your vision be? I mean, it's still a pretty young organization in many ways, but uh, with, with huge objectives. And what, what would you say the next five, 10 years look like? And where will you sort of aspire your, um, you wish to be? Where would you like to say, oh yeah, this is where we're going to be then? I love that. Um, you know, the next five to 10 sort of where, where we're heading, what I, what I would love to see. Um, I would love to see us have a much larger national footprint. We're getting there. We're now in about five states in, in the country, which is good. Again, I talk about the coalition members. If you sort of take all of our coalition members as a collective, we're probably, you know, reaching uh, or have some kind of a, a footprint in about, you know, 40 states, right? So we're there, um, but just bigger impact, right? Just sort yeah. of scaling up is really what I would love to see is for us to scale up, right? Um, you know, I would love to see back to the messaging, a successful, national messaging agenda that really um, begins to put this issue into the conversations of, of, of ordinary Americans, sort of into our lexicon, something that we're all talking about and we're all concerned about and we're curious about or confused about, whatever it may be, but just talking about it, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So I, I would love to see that as well. And then, you know, there have been a lot, um, and we've been looking a lot to um, a lot of our, you know, uh, countries around the world and how they've been able to, 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 to accelerate this issue a lot quicker than we have. So more of that sort of international perspective to see what could work in the US, what maybe doesn't fit the US, not all things that other countries are gonna do will work here. So that's that's obvious, but I think, you know, it would be good for us to begin to open up that kind of thinking and those kind of conversations. Um, and then ultimately to sort of see the change that, you know, that we're really working toward, right? So to see more women getting elected, to see more women getting appointed, and it makes sure that those women Women really, again, we're not a monolith, right? So that those women that are getting appointed and are getting elected really do represent all the vastness and, and diversity of communities that we have in our country. That's beautiful. Um, just a, a quick sort of aside uh, question that I'm then I'll let you go, I promise. But you mentioned looking at other um, examples from around the world. Do other places that are doing this, you haven't mentioned where necessarily, but do they also have such a nonpartisan effort towards collaboration and working together? Because that's very unique, um, I think, and it's probably adding to some challenges, but also to some strengths that you can that you guys put together. So um, are, are there a lot, of, you're looking at examples, do they have similar models? 
Well, I'll, I'll say this and just quickly, just to, to reach back regarding the nonpartisan, you know, what, what we realized is that if you look at the U.S. in terms of, you know, we have our two major parties, right, the Republicans and the Democrats, and it's pretty like the U.S. populace is pretty much, you know, 50-50 split, right? So therefore, if we're really going to be realistic about reaching any kind of gender parity or just getting, you know, you know, greater representation, you're going to have to have women on the right and on the left, right? Like you can't right. do it alone. You can't do it with just women on the left. You can't do it with just women on the right. Um, with respect to other countries, um, with respect to the, is it a, 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 a more nonpartisan nature? What I will say is that obviously in those countries that have actually, you know, constitutionalized, right? So you have some some countries who actually, you know, have sort of quotas, right, in their constitution. And that's something the U.S. would, would likely never do, nothing that we're, we're, we're proposing. But in those instances, then, you know, it is a nonpartisan nature. It's more of a national nature, right? Um, but then there's other, you know, instances where, you know, um, particular parties have have their own sort of um, systems of making sure that, you know, as they think about, you know, committee chairships, making sure that that's gender balanced and those kind of things. So I think it's really hit or miss, right? So um, some countries are making it a collective effort. So in that way, it's a national effort, therefore a nonpartisan effort. Um, in other countries, it's, it's, you know, based on the party, right? And the party, you know, putting quotas even within its party system saying, making sure that this amount of women are gonna go up for leadership. So they're doing it in different ways. Um, um, again, a lot of what is happening internationally probably and likely won't work for the United States. Right. But there are some things that we're seeing that possibly if tweaked or sort of if sort of, you know, um, uh, massage, let's say, for, for a U.S. context may be useful, even if it's at the local level, perhaps state, maybe even federal level. So those are some of the things that we're trying to be um, more innovative about and, and, and sort of and looking more into. Okay, we're coming to the end. Anything else that you wanted to say that I didn't give you a chance to say? Well, you know, I will say that I encourage um, women and, and particularly women living in the U.S. to to join us, to join our movement. It's an exciting time to be a part of it. Um, check us out on our website, um, reflect.us. We're on Instagram, reflect underscore U.S. Um, we have a ton of great programming, great conversations. And also, you know, check out all of our coalition members. All um, eight of them have amazing leaders development programs that one could be part of and then reflect us um, reflect us ourselves we have just begun a fellowship program down in Texas which is um, funded which is great and we're going to be extending that to other states across the country so um please we would love to have you we would love to have you if you're interested in running for office if you're interested in supporting women who are running for office or if you're just interested in what we're doing um, please check us out Thank you for listening to In the Business of Change. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to hear other conversations with inspired social entrepreneurs and change makers working on challenges in their communities and across the globe. I'm your host, Elisa Birnbaum.